Coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for another episode of Tech Talk with your host, Joey Klein. Hello, all. Welcome to another episode of Tech Talk where we only have the best Atlanta technology companies on. Uh, we're going to talk to two great CEOs today. First, we're going to chat with Craig Hayner, the CEO of Green Feather. Uh, and second, we're going to we have a repeat guest, uh, Robin Gregg, the CEO of RoadSync, for an update. Uh, Craig, we're going to start with you. How you doing? Great. How you doing? Great, great to be here. Humbled and honored, and good to see you again, Robin. Excellent. Yeah, I know. Small world that you two sort of yeah. know each other virtually, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to spend most of our time talking about Green Feather, but I do find it interesting that you're sort of the CEO of two companies or mm. one pivoted to another. So walk us through Ally, your, your guide, your uh, journey to Ally Commerce and the transition to Green Feather and how the two interact with each other, if any, and then we'll just go straight on to Green Feather. Sure. Um, not an uncommon question. Look, I'm no Elon Musk. This is not SpaceX and, uh, and Tesla, so don't feel too bad for me, but I do not recommend running two companies. Uh, it is a challenge for sure. Uh, and so, look, the, the, the short story is um, I came to Atlanta about uh, five years ago now to work at a company called Ally Commerce, which was about 12, 18 months in. And, uh, you know, in that business, we learned a whole bunch in a short period of time and had some great success. And uh, over time in that business, which provided technology and operational services to uh, consumer durables, brand manufacturers, to, to get direct to e-commerce, you know, to their customers, we started to see a trend of, of health and wellness companies uh, coming to us and saying, we, we want to engage you know, patient-consumer directly. And, boy, it's, it's sure kind of complicated and hard in the standard uh, solutions and service providers, you know, the, the world of healthcare is, is nascent for them. So things like HIPAA, certain requirements around, uh, you know, PCI and payments, which are not necessarily standard for traditional e-commerce business and, and, and other sort of security and privacy things were, were a complication, as well as some of the solutions you needed to pull off payments in, in such a world and prescriptions and all kinds of stuff. So long story short, we, um, we had a customer come along and we built an interesting solution for them. And we thought, boy, there, there might be some more folks that look like them out here that would be interested in some of these products and solutions. And so we, uh, we decided to go to market as a new brand, um, and, uh, and that was the birth of, of Green Feather. So we, we explored um, you know, launching that company late uh, 2019. Uh, we launched the company formally uh, February of 2020. Great timing, by the way. Har-har. Um, and, uh, and so we, we determined what our, our real product strategy would be by about June last year. Okay. So the first few months was just sort of exploring, talking more abstractly about problems and solutions in the world of healthcare and seeing what resonance came back from the market segments that we were pursuing conversations with. And there was an over-indexing problem uh, against all the things we talked about in uh, providers uh, and payments. And so for us, uh, that became our core strategic intent was to go build a payments product that would work for healthcare providers. And we, we set on that mission about June of last year, uh, designed our product, uh, found a few early adopter customers that you know, purchased basically designs, launched that, that MVP to them October. And uh, since then, it's been uh, you know, an aggressive pursuit of more customers, more product insight, and R&D back into the product to provide more value to ultimately our, our customers. And so here we are in uh, middle of uh, 2021 and uh, you know, happily moving forward aggressively in, in pace on that business. Okay, so to, to me, this is like... Um... <laughs> I'm going to make an analogy to music, right? You've, you've, got a, you've got a band, okay? One member decides, uh, you know what? I have some of these songs. They could work for this band, but maybe I'm just going to go solo because they don't entirely fit. How do you decide whether 
to keep that music within the confines of the existing band or to separate them out so that it has its own identity, right? It's like establish a new business unit or product versus an entirely new company. Interesting metaphor. You, <laughs> you must have looked at my LinkedIn. Um, I, I didn't. I'm just a huge <laughs> music guy. I don't know. It sounds like you might be as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I come from that world, sort of. Okay. Um, you know, for, for us, it was, it was exploration of what might be out there as we were operating a business. And, you know, the determination of, of is the opportunity sizable such that you can create an entirely new organism and, and focus that on a new strategic direction with, with different people and skill sets and pursue a large uh, market opportunity. That was the first question to ask. And so once we, we got to that point where we, we felt comfortable with that, it was, okay, so now how do we manage two organizations holistically under one sort of group of folks? And, uh, and that's, that's the challenging part I mentioned that I don't recommend. Uh, you know, look, focus matters. And especially when you're, you're entering such a space uh, as healthcare, the, the healthcare is like people like to say it's, it's where startups go to die. It's so big and fragmented and cantankerous. And, and so for us, you know, the decision was, you know, we really want to focus on this piece of the business. And so um, we pivoted, you know, the mm-hmm. business essentially into this this new organism that you, you see today that we're discussing. Okay. And actually now as I'm sort of thinking back, of course I looked and knew you, you used to work at Fender for like 10 years and I totally want to nerd out about music with <laughs> you as a guy who's got a, um, a big Apple Strat, but we can keep that <laughs> for another conversation. Um, okay, so now we're focused on healthcare and uh, you, you threw around providers and payments, okay? And a lot of people who have any sort of passing knowledge of um, Atlanta and technology knows that there are a couple things that are very big here, and that's healthcare IT, and that's uh, financial technology, okay? So it seems like you're putting yourself firmly in that world, but let's get pretty granular and talk about what is a specific scenario in which a customer would use? You can obviously use, you know, existing examples if you want, whether or not you're able to name clients, but I mean, for the uninitiated, um, dumb it down, what is the value add? Sure. Um, there is a fundamental supply and demand problem. Right? So on one side of, uh, of the equation, you have supply, which is all of the ways we as consumers pay today. Right? So think about all the things that you can access to purchase something. You've got all the cool slick digital stuff like Apple Pay and Google Pay and PayPal and all that. You've got um, your credit score, which gives you access to all types of interesting sort of pay later options. Some are traditional consumer financing like revolving credit credit cards. Some are uh, installment plans that use things like credit cards or, again, your credit score. Some are point of sale financing. Some are revolving uh, industry-specific credit devices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? There's all these ways you can pay for stuff. And on the supply uh, side, that, that's, that's that. On the demand side, you have all of us as patient consumers who are uh, unfortunately uh, being held accountable for more out-of-pocket expense as time goes on, right? And so if you went back in time 15, 20 years, about 10% of healthcare was, was, was paid. Now it's almost 40 and that will continue to rise. So what does that mean? And when you say paid, you mean paid by the individuals like the three of us Correct. sitting around the table. Yeah, your insurance will cover some, but you need to cover the rest or it's entirely elective. Well, and look, anyone who I think has worked for more than a decade understands this acutely. I remember my first job out of college, um, and I had no experience whatsoever to know if this was good or bad. Everything was absolutely covered. There was absolutely, and we were a small company. This was 25 people. There was no deductible. Uh, there was no premium taken out of our paycheck. And, it, you know, I 
challenge anyone who's listening to this, if that is your situation, you are one lucky human being right yes. now. It has changed very quickly over the past decade or so. Right, right. So, so, there, so, so now there's, there's those two pieces. Now what is the problem? Think of that as a chasm. And in the middle you have in this example a healthcare practitioner who is largely servicing elective and out-of-care procedures. So mm-hmm. think dental as an example. Half of revenue in dental is elective out-of-pocket. Half. Stunning. It's about $80 billion. Wow. Right? It's massive. And so you have this provider in the middle who's saying, look, I have patients who are continuing to, to afford more of the burden of care or choosing to electively. And they have all these ways they can pay, but I have no simple way with which to bring those payment types into my practice and business and that patient journey and workflow. That's what we have built at Greenfeather is the ability to say very simply to us, yes, I would like to access all of those interesting ways to pay and bring them in an intuitive, digitally uh, contactless, remote first way into my patient journey and experience. Okay. So are we talking your, your prime customer, all right? And I imagine, you know, look, you're in the early stages of your evolution. So you might have a list of whatever it is, let's call it six prime type of customers maybe at your stage you're focusing on you know one or two because you have to you have to at this point right um talk to me about who those folks are are we talking about hospital systems are we talking about private plastic surgery practices or the like what 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 does the size look like yeah so so today we're playing small ball which is to go after a very specific segment and again the fortunate thing about healthcare is it's so big small ball in this space is an $80 billion addressable market, right? As I said from some numbers previously. And so, so it, there's enough to go around. There's enough to eat to drive a, a substantial business in the early days. So our vision is, is that, look, there are fundamentally issues uh, across healthcare and in other industries in terms of payments. Robin is well aware. You know? And so, you know, but we're thinking today about really getting use case, really proving value proposition, really driving value, not, not just to our customer, but ultimately to all of us as patient consumers. And so we believe if we establish that beachhead in one segment, which today we really like dental, mm-hmm. um, that that gives us the blueprint to jump to the next lily pad and sort of use 80% of that playbook to permutate into there. And then the next, the next, the next. Okay. Uh, as, as, as a sales guy myself, and you know, really I think that most CEOs of businesses of your size are salespeople as well. Frankly, I, any CEO should really think of themselves as a salesperson, but certainly um, at your stage you are. So what's what's the strategy? Are you sort of chief marketing sales? Do you have a team? Um, how how is that go to market strategy manifested? Right. So here is what is of benefit to pivot a business: is you're not starting from zero, <laughs> sure, and you're not in the garage, and you're not coming together as a management and leadership team and trying to sort of coalesce and you know build chemistry and understand strengths and weaknesses. So we came into this with, with, I think, a real tailwind, which was we understand each other, we understand strengths and weaknesses, we put ourselves in the best place to be most successful to, to achieve the next milestone. And so for us, in terms of you know, acquisition and growth, we have uh, three, three folks full-time on that. We have a head of what we call in the early days here customer acquisition, which is traditionally uh, sales and marketing, right? Sure. Demand, capture, and generation. <laughs> We think of it holistically because we're small enough today and we just want to move fast. And so we have one person that, that sees over that and then we have a BDR and then we have a marketing manager in there. And that's to your point previously, of course, I wear the, the sales hat, carry the bag down the long, lonely road, as they say, and try to you know get our vision and mission out there and, and excite people about giving us a shot to uh, help them drive a better result in their, their practice. Okay. So, so we're, we're focusing on dentistry right now. 
what what is the long term vision here? Whether it's different segments of healthcare, whether it's using this technology for other industries, what what do you look like in eighteen to twenty four months? So let's say eighteen to twenty four month horizon. You know, and you mentioned this earlier. You know, there are some institutional applications of what we've built, which we think are really interesting. And so think large provider group, um, think hospital groups. You know, the way that, that the patient journey and, and ultimately payments flow through those is different than, say, oh, I'm, I'm going to have, you know, a crown put on in two weeks. Yeah. You generally show up to the hospital because it's been a shitty day, right? And that's a different payment experience than what we're expressing and building in our product in our strategy today. But over time, we think there's an application of that that's very interesting and so we'll explore some larger institutional deployments as well as just other segments of relatively high out-of-pocket, as, as we discussed earlier. And they're all over the place, plastic surgery, veterinary, XYZ. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so why are y'all uniquely suited to solve this problem? What is it? Is, is this just based upon pivoting ally commerce and you've got sort of an, a, a blueprint that you can pivot? Is it something based upon your background and other leaders' backgrounds? Why y'all? Well, you ask a couple things there. You know, what's uniqueness and, and how are we going to build a business, right? And I think the, the uniqueness in our approach is we fundamentally believe most software is bad. And, and, and in some cases, you know, we hold ourselves accountable to that and want a higher standard of what we're building. And so when you think, you know, fundamentally about businesses that have been su- successful historically, you know, I think Google was like the eighth or ninth folk that actually tried search and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they weren't discouraged by not being first. They were encouraged by being the best, and so when we think about, you know, the way payments are deployed in the space in healthcare, it's bad, it's broken, there's so much optimization that we can bring. And to your point about, like, you know, why us? When you're building e-commerce experiences, it's all about moving through a checkout process. It's like cattle down a chute, right? You're really trying to optimize checkout, right? It's like getting people in the front of the door of the casino and getting them to the table as fast as you can kind of thing. And so, you know, we're coming with a keen sense of, like, user experience, simplification, you know, powerful application of technology and offline solutions to complete that transaction and afford higher efficacy of care for, for all patient consumers. And so why us? You know, we come from a space that has a fundamental problem that's similar to this. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the technology and chops and capabilities to build something very interesting. And when we look at the landscape of, of the way some companies are creating the payment experience for patients today, we just think they're wrong, and there's a better way to do it, and we're going to give it a crack. Okay. I, I, I like that. Uh, well, arrogance is not the right word, but uh, confidence, audacity, right? Well, I you think need a little bit of that. At the end of the day, you've all probably made a payment online for healthcare. Was it, were you, like, blown away? Was it really great? You know, were you, did you feel there was empathy in the experience? Were you presented with a number of options with, with which to afford maybe something that was scary but, but like, actually made it comfortable and, and, and feasible? We generally find the answer to that is not really. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, I mean, if I, I you know, the, you know, with two kids and, uh, you know, two parents, it's uh, I can't count the number of times I've done it, and it's all a different format and um it's not terribly intuitive on whatever the bill that's being sent um and there's not really a lot of insight into what is not being paid for and why so i look i can i can definitely understand the value proposition um okay so this is i think this is your first ceo role is that right or so I, sort of ally to yeah you know, yeah okay. i took over ally about uh, two years ago now okay and uh, have, have been running that in parallel with uh, standing up 
this business as its CEO. Yes. Uh, so it's interesting because look, we we have a lot of you know small to mid market companies on this podcast, and some of them are uh, you know founder CEOs, some of them are CEOs who've come in you know after the founding team. And I guess you're a little bit of both, right? You know, you came in after the you know original founding team at Ally, and now you're let's say for all intents and purposes on the founding team of Green Feather. Do you approach it differently? What's your leadership style? How are you building culture? Tell us a little bit about that. You know, my journey to to get to Ally was I I hit a certain uh, age milestone in my life, and I said it's it's probably time to either start something now or go to something that's getting started, and I I did the latter. And what a tremendous experience, and I was so fortunate to work with with so many great people, and and they're all around the, the community today building great businesses and uh, you know all those folks knew who they are. Hello, and and I was really fortunate to to understand you know how to do this kind of thing, but not be ultimately responsible um, as the CEO. So I got a good opportunity, I think, to to be uh, you know on the bench watching the, the starters play in, in a founding way. That said, uh, I got a lot of operational experience very quick in that business. There was just a lot to be done. We were growing. It was a lot, really exciting time, fun. And so for me, the, the confluence of all that and and, and sort of seeing what worked, what didn't. It, it, I think for me, as we founded Green Feather, we just knew intuitively a couple things not to do that maybe would have vexed folks who just decided, hey, let's quit Big Co. Sure. And let's go start something. So again, to the tailwind, that was really helpful for us. And so for me, you know, the way, the way I think about it is I have been, you know, absolutely fortunate, lucky, uh, beyond, uh, you know, reason. And you mentioned earlier, like, we're running and starting and building a fintech company that's focused in healthcare. Is there a better city in the nation? I didn't think about that when I moved here. Yeah, I, well, that's, I'm glad you brought this up, right? Because if, the, if there's any commonality between the organizations that are on this show, it's they're either born and bred Atlanta or they have chosen to have a healthy presence via you know, a certain business unit in Atlanta. And so a lot of this is focused on you know, why Atlanta? You know, also, you know, taking a good look at maybe why not Atlanta, but mostly why Atlanta and why is this a great place? So, yes, I imagine when you moved here for Ally, it's not none of this was on your mind. It's a happy accident. No, for, for me, this has been the greatest example of don't plan too far out, yeah. you know, because uh, as a one of my friends that I worked with previously in the business we're discussing at Ally was um, – Planning is essential and plans are useless. That, that is a, a good way to sort of summarize, you know, how I was thinking about things uh, seven, eight years ago and where I am today. Well, so what do you think is in the water here, right? Is this just the um, sum of all the shared experiences and companies that were built before that have a sustaining talent base here? Is there something else fundamental to this region and this type of talent that has made this place what it is? Why here? I can only tell you my experience, and my experience has been there's a tremendous network uh, because the the city is not so big that you can't have a network, and it's not so small that it's not a necessarily uh, very valuable network, if you will. And so my experience has been, number one, communication and and, and the network itself, and then number two, just the practical things that we all know. You've got a world-class technology institution here pumping out really great engineers and, and, you know, folks that have a sort of a sense of, of product um, with Georgia Tech. And you have generally a, just a, a great sort of region in the country to go to uh, for, uh, for folks that, that, like me, want to escape the cold weather but, you know, don't want to move all the way down to, uh, to, uh, to say, Florida. Sure. And where, where did you – remind me, where, where did you come from before Atlanta? Well, I, so now I'm going to sort of 
walk that statement back. I grew up in, <laughs> in South Jersey outside of Philly. I lived in Florida for 12 years okay, and uh, moved up to North Carolina for another 12. And so here I am five years. So I've kind of been all over the East Coast. I yeah. did that sort of the, the reverse retirement thing. But anyway, uh, I, I just think it, there's a lot to like here for uh, for you know networking purposes. I think there's a, a, a great uh, sort of you know foundation in terms of technology and STEM capability in, in this town for businesses like this. And um, and again, it's a great place to live. And as you get older and you have kids, as I have, you know, you really value the ability to have all of that in a nice suburban area and good schools. I would totally agree. Um, I'm I'm from here originally, but left for a, you know about a decade or so and came back. And uh, yeah, agree wholeheartedly. Um, so you know, the talent shortage has been something in the news a lot, and typically it's focused on you know more lower level talent, right? Uh, hourly workers, warehouse workers, wait staff, you know, et cetera. But, you know, I, I've talked to a number of, you know, friends and, uh, you know, industry, you know, colleagues that are more on the technology side of things, and they, they have, it, it has not been immune to it at all. And I'm just curious if you've felt anything or if that has not been an issue with your business and if you've, you know, really been able to recruit and recruit well from here or elsewhere. I mean, uh, hiring is tough. Yeah. You know, Robin, maybe you, you have an opinion here, but it it is hard. Um, but, you know, I think these are the best people I've ever met in my life that we're recruiting these days. So I think while while it's tougher, the, the payoff when you find the right folk, better than I've ever experienced in, in, in my 15, 20 years of, of being in, in the hiring positions. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd agree. I mean, the quality of talent here in Atlanta is fantastic. Um, I think the unfortunate truth is a lot of other people have discovered that as well. And so I think particularly for sales and engineering talent, I mean, engineers now, you can get them from anywhere. And so people are, you know, your engineers know that they can work pretty much for anyone anywhere. And so there's a lot of competition for that. And then the, the sales folks, there are people who are plopping in large sales centers here in Atlanta and, you know, comparatively, Atlanta's on sale in terms of talent, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of the relative cost to, compared to, you know, Bay Area, New York. And so it's can be tough. I, I, I think it is. It, it means that you really do have to be thoughtful about the experience you're impl- providing for employees, about the opportunities you're providing. But the talent's here. Um, but it certainly is more competitive than it's ever been. Well, I'm, I'm curious from both of y'all. So, uh, you know, it's look everything that's happened over the past year. One of the effects is it, it makes it more possible to open up where you're hiring people from. And I'm curious if y'all have gotten to a place where you're looking at more candidates from higher price markets in the Northeast or the Pacific um, Coast. If there have been you know real issues with salary competition, just because you know simply it's people expect more out there than here. Yeah, um, so we're very open to hiring outside of Atlanta. However, there's still the gravitational pull is sure. in Atlanta. And and so I, the overwhelming majority of our hiring remains in, in Georgia. I wouldn't even say Atlanta. Like people are kind of a little further flung out. But yeah. um, we really have focused here. We want people – I believe we will not be a remote-only company. We'll, we'll be a remote sometimes – um, and so we really want people to be able to come and have this experience of, you know, being together whenever we can all get back together again regularly, which we hope is very soon. Um, so we've mainly hired here. We have a handful of folks, especially for more specialized positions that will be in other markets, and that can be pretty competitive. But that was always the case. You're just going to pay what you're going to pay. Sure. 
Well, have you found something similar, Craig? I couldn't have said it better. That's yeah. exactly my, what my answer would be is, is as an organization in our stage, we, we prefer to be local, but there's a great talent pool nationally that we are tapping into now. And so our, our latest hire is someone who's in San Antonio. They'll be based there and we'll you know, sort of invite them out as, as time and opportunity permits. We're a fully remote business today. Just we're 15 people, so we should be. Yeah. Um, but over time, I, I see us finding a little space to call our own. We believe very strongly in the collision of ideas, and that's hard to do in in a virtual setting. I mean, y'all, y'all are echoing what I've heard some so many other you know folks at you know your stage or smaller or just a little bit bigger. It's like if you're building like a company is nothing other than people and their ideas and their personalities. And so if you're really building something and you're adding a bunch of new folks. It's really hard to build a cohesive culture and get people to trust each other and be friends or at least work friends um, if you just never hang out, right? You don't have to do it all the time, but it's just so tough to build that sort of camaraderie when you're just over a computer. Yeah, and I put myself in the shoes of somebody who's joining an organization and doesn't know anybody. I've never been there. Uh, the closest I can come is as a sales guy. I was always remote previously in my career, and, uh, and you know, but you still went to the company and you still had sales meetings and you met people. You know, today there's this whole group of folks who have been onboarded and are working and scaling and growing into the business. Never seen anybody in person. That that's weird. That that, that it's it's one thing that concerns me, and it really concerns me for folks that are really early in their career. I, I am look. I, I hope this doesn't come to fruition, right? But I'm worried that we get five years down the line, and there's a whole generation of kids that are between you know whatever 25, 27 at that point that just don't have the professional mentorship or network that others that were more fully integrated into the workforce and the company in person were at that time. You know, again, no one has a crystal ball, but like you can, you can project out and, and I think it's realistic to see that as a potential problem if it's a critical mass. I I really think it depends on the position and the type of job. I mean, I think some jobs are, are more suited to be remote than others. I think if you're talking about like, you know, early sales jobs or early business development jobs or maybe even like product or you know, maybe more intensive people focused jobs, and then that might very much be the case. Um, I don't – I think this is temporary. Yeah. I, I think that most folks are going to pursue some sort of hybrid eventually, and you're going to see people getting folks together more and more often or just find a way to, to have that human interaction. It's – I think and to some extent, we did our first um, company-wide get-together at the end of June, and the energy was fantastic. And just to be together, people were so excited, so happy. I mean, it, it, you know, it was the first party most people have been to in a really, really long time, mm-hmm. and it was great. It was just incredible, and you can't replace that. And no. so I, I, I don't think that's, that's going away. Well, we, we went to our first um, stadium concert um, at the Brave Stadium a couple weeks ago, and just the the joy and thrill of a shared experience with tens of thousands of people it, it was it, you know it's like it's almost like it was the first time that it was experienced uh, you just can't can't replace that um okay so well so Craig we really appreciate you coming on yeah. and kind of sharing the vision and the journey if those who are listening want to get in touch with you want to learn more about green feather how do they do it yeah, Craig at GoGreenFeather.com. Send me a note. Love to talk to you. Easy enough. Okay, Craig, thanks a lot. Thank you. Robin, so you are a returning champion, returning guest. Um, it's, I, you know, I, 
Probably should have looked up the exact last date that you came on, but it's certainly more than a year, probably 18 months or so at this point. I can't remember if I came on. I'm, no, I must have come on before my Series A. I think so. Yeah. And of course, and you've raised several since you came on. Yeah, is two several? I think, you know. Or what? whatever. <laughs> sure, two. <laughs> it's more than one. I'm being a grammar nerd. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's oh. been a while because I raised my Series A. We got the last check the last week in February 2020. Um, and that was, you know, then I wasn't going out and doing much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think it was maybe late 2019. Anyways, yeah. a lot has changed. Um, you have raised two rounds of funding. I imagine that there are many things that are different with the business. So where do you want to start? What is different? What should we talk about? Uh, Well, I guess to start with, I'll share with folks who don't know, uh, RoadSync is a platform for the transportation industry, and we're focused on automating the financial solutions for the $800 billion logistics industry. Um, the fundamental problem we're solving is the fact that everything is in paper and phone calls. All business transactions are very, very manual and pretty labor-intensive, and that's completely at odds with the fact that this is a perpetually cash-strapped industry and you know, really deserves a better solution. I mean, I think we all have firsthand experience how important the supply chain is to our personal experiences, our ability to get goods, um, you name it. And so we want to keep them running and running more efficiently. Um, so that's what the business does. Um, we have raised two rounds of capital. One closed right before COVID, like I was talking about, was um, about a, uh, just under $6 million Series A. Um, so, you know, I found myself in the position of having to scale the business pretty rapidly during COVID. And so we kind of held our breath for a couple months um, and saw that the logistics industry, as people all now know, was doing pretty well during that time period. If there has been any winner of the pandemic... It's got to be. No, it's Zoom. <laughs> okay, fine. We, then, then we, a winner's Zoom plural, okay? and athleisure yeah. won the pandemic. But I, also transportation did pretty well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. Keep keep going. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we, we had to scale the business out a bunch of people. I mean, we were talking about this connection to the business while you are fully remote. Um, I would say about 75% of our current team has been hired in the pandemic, and, you know, just, you know, has not been in the office on a regular basis with the rest of the company, which is a really interesting experience and management experience to try to maintain culture and rat- rapidly scale. We also hit that magic, you know, I would say the company starts to change once you get to 40 to 50 people and you have to manage the company differently. So we hit that during the pandemic. Um, but we got, we were really lucky. We were able to continue to, to scale the business Um the, the main flagship product we have in market um, is basically a platform that allows um, vendors in the trucking industry to easily invoice and accept payments from truckers for all sorts of things like warehouse fees, uh, repairs, y- you name it. It's, it's uh, everything that a trucker does is basically a business trip. But imagine if you go on business trips and none of the vendors that you need to use actually will accept cards or you don't have a card to use. It, it just makes for a clunky experience. So that's that's sort of the experience for a trucker. So we rolled that product out. That's the main focus of our sales is to extend that product further. And we have um, at least 1,000 locations today uh, using this, this um, platform. We also integrated with one of the major fuel card companies um, called WEX. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are one of the few mobile platforms that take their fuel card products, which they, you know, they have about 50% of the... You know, 
long haul trucking fuel card industry. So uh, lots of exciting things happened for us over the last uh, last couple last couple months. Um, and then we raised the B. Um, and so we just closed our, our Series B, a $30 million Series B, about, you know, about 60 to 90 days ago. Very cool. Okay, so so let's let's get granular on business case here, right? Mm-hmm. So are we talking about, I'm going to use just some, you know, uh, you know, generic industry names here, right? What are we talking about as relates to like a trucking company like J.B. Hunt versus third-party logistics company like XPO? How are you interacting with one, both, neither so those folks and their employees would be payers. Okay. So the way to think about where we've really focused are the the vendors, so all the people that are supporting the ecosystem. So it's more um, warehouse groups, heavy truck towing, repair. I mean, there's probably at least 100,000 different businesses that support the trucking industry with some of these type of expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really the, you know, merchant side of – routine business expenses for the transportation industry. Okay. Um, and so, again, somewhat of a similar, um, you know, question is asked to Craig. Uh, what's the go-to-market strategy? What's the um, split between, you know, targeting inbound marketing versus, you know, feed-on-the-ground sales? How does that work for RoadSync? Yeah, we're, we're primi- primarily sales-driven, um, and that's because this is an industry that's uh, – know, pretty old school in how they select and buy products. I mean, they are not Googling stuff regularly. Um, and so they, but they do do a lot of things over the phone. Um, so we have a pretty extensive, uh, you know, BDR team, mm-hmm. AAE team here in Atlanta. Um, and they're really trying to get in front of these customers and show them the product. And once they do that, it, Pretty quick, quick sales process. Yeah, I imagine yours is a little bit more of a you know inside sale, couple yep. calls and a demo as opposed to you know Correct. you got a bunch of reps carrying a bag going. Oh no, no, we're not doing field sales. Yeah, no, yeah. it's 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 all phone based. I mean, it looks like a typical software sale. Yep. I think the main thing that's missing for us is you know not a ton of inbound marketing. Um, you know, we think that's going to change over time. We're certain working to 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 build that, but um, but it's you know looks like a software sale right you know you demo the product you show somebody you understand what their needs are what their pain points are and sure. you can close them over the phone it's pretty pretty easy it's a cloud-based product so it's easy for people to adopt okay so you touched on um a leadership topic that i want to talk about um the you know once you get over a certain number of employees you know you're just talking a different type of ceo and, and i think you've i've certainly had folks on the show that were you know, founders and company got to a certain size and they, you know, became whatever, chief strategy officer, right? Whatever it might be and brought in someone else, obviously not implying that is your case. But what I mean is that it's very clear that different stages of the company require different skill sets. And so I am curious what you have seen change and what you think is important at this phase of the company as opposed to, let's call it 18 months ago. From a leadership perspective. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the good news, bad news of my professional experience is that I've, I've managed really large pieces of an organization before. Um, so to some extent, this stage feels in, in the structure that it needs and, um, you know, the fact that I need to be more metrics oriented and that, you know, I need to really be careful about structuring people's goals and the overall company of strategic imperatives um, and, and being a little bit more thoughtful and measured about that versus just sort of like everybody in room issuing instructions, you know, next, next day, figure out something else. Yeah. Like, you know, I think this, this uh, phase feels a little more natural to me, but I think what is hard and I'm surprised by is 
I haven't been operating like this in a long time. And so like going back to it and also getting the organization wrapped around it yeah. is the harder part. So, um, you know, I think it's a, yeah, I'm, we are in an interesting inflection point trying to figure out what is the right level of structure and process and cadence for the organization as we grow. And then also getting everybody else comfortable. And then I think the other dynamic that's different is how do I do this in a largely remote environment? I mean, totally. Yeah, it's it's so many different um, curveballs thrown on top of one another at the same time. Yeah, exciting, I imagine, but yeah, probably a little you know stressful and confusing sometimes too. Yeah, I mean, I am absolutely thrilled to have this team and to be working on you know all, all the things that we have ahead of us. I mean, it's a, just a very exciting time for the business, um, but you know the list of things we have to do is overwhelming. Sure. Right? <laughs> Okay, so so you've recently raised um, you know pretty serious number in terms of funding, um, and is this are we sort of executing just at a on a wider number of potential customers? Are we going into different business lines and establishing new products? All both some what's, everything? What's the, yeah, yes, okay. everything. Right? Um, yeah, no, we are obviously focused on continuing to scale our existing business, our, our kind of flagship product, which is checkout. Um, but really uh, also devoting a lot of our, our time and energy around products that sort of are extensions. So either ways to deepen the relationship with our existing vendors, things like, you know, providing them with access to capital, payroll, um, and also starting to uh, supply solutions to some of the other parts of the ecosystem. For example, you know, drivers might need a way to easily invoice and accept payments themselves mm-hmm. or get reimbursed for an expense. And so we are deploying solutions against all of the segments that touch our platform as well as going deeper into our existing segments. Okay, and so so the way that this actually manifests itself in the moment of a transaction, right, this is essentially a driver using something on a mobile device as opposed to cash back and forth and paper receipts. Yes, okay. exactly. Um, and it, it's not too dissimilar to you buying a cup of coffee at a coffee shop that uses square. Sure. And um, so you couldn't just pay it directly or you may, you know, in our case, we often text the driver a sort of a real-time invoice and he'll complete the checkout on his phone. And that's because he's not like standing in front of the person he's purchasing from. He might still be in the cab or, and they might want to keep him in the cab in this environment. Mm-hmm. So there's, there, there's a little bit of complexity and workflow that's unique to our use case. But, you know, for, for folks listening, I mean, it really isn't, too dissimilar to checking out as a consumer anywhere. Yeah. Why, why y'all and why now, right? I'm, I'm, and I'm always curious about this when it comes to technology solutions to analog problems, which are fantastic businesses. And every time that I hear about one of these businesses, I'm like, how has that not happened before, right? Why did it take this long? And uh, why this team in particular to solve this problem that should have been solved a long time ago? Yeah, so in the consumer world, people have gone, you know, mobile and to cards. Uh, I mean, nobody uses a checkbook. I mean, I, I remember as a child, my mom paying for stuff with a checkbook, but but no, nobody does that anymore. Um, some people don't even have checkbooks. I have, only reason I have a checkbook is because you still need them with 
you have children to pay for all sorts of things, so school uh, expenses. I think I, that's like the last <laughs> consumer check product that you need. I, I asked someone under 30 for um, a check recently. They looked at me as if I was from the Middle Ages. I've never felt so old. Yeah, I know. You, should, you counted it out on an abacus yeah, or something exactly. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's already happened in the consumer space. And so it's somewhat inevitable that it's going to happen in B2B as well. But, you know, it. Very, very high prevalence still of paper-based payments in in B2B transactions. And so, um, you know, I think this is sort of the consumerization of B2B payments Mm -hmm. is part of it. Um, And that's just sort of inevitable over time. I think what's accelerated it is, um, in, in transportation in particular, there's a couple of trends. One, all of this investment in digital brokerage and other digital technology solutions has meant that kind of legacy players and some of the incumbents are really looking for ways to um, create a better experience to compete for shippers, drivers, business in general. And so any solutions that you can provide to them that modernize their operations and make them more efficient or make them more competitive, we have a driver shortage right now, is is desirable. Well, we had a driver shortage well before COVID. And it's even more acute, right? So so there's, there's that trend. Um, and I think that puts a lot of pressure on people to think about ways to eke out even small improvements in efficiency. Yeah. Um, so there's that and, and as well as like consumer expectations, right? Like, you know, it, people who use people who use their um, people use their phone for work purposes now very, very commonly. Everybody's digital in some way. They might be digital in different ways, but everybody's digital in, in, in some way. My, my parents are digital. They, they love Facebook, especially my mom. Um, and you know, so you just kind of have to figure out where people are and they expect to use their, are starting to expect to use your, their phones for things and are comfortable using their phones for business reasons. So there's that as well. Um, and I just think that's created this opportunity to really push payments finally. I mean, nobody in the industry ever thought that 20 years from now, you're going to still be using paper payments for everything. It's, so it's not a matter of, you know, if it's going to happen. It's just sort of when and at what pace. Uh, and, who, and who the winner is going to be. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. Hopefully y'all. Yep. Um, does, do, do trends in industrial real estate have any sort of impact on your business? I'm just thinking, obviously, the seat that I sit in, we don't talk real estate on the show. But, um, you know, the, if I think of the big five food groups of real estate as office, retail, industrial, multifamily, and hotels – Industrial logistics have just crushed during the pandemic more than any asset class. Um, obviously, the people you work with sort of touch that, but is, is there a big effect, or how, how, how do you see that? I don't think there's a necessarily effect, but I think it's um, uh, related to the health and growth in the industry, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the fact that uh, the proliferation of warehouses because people consumers expect their goods immediately. <laughs> Um, I think are all trends that are like point to the fact that um, there's just more and more need for capacity in the transportation industry. Um, so I think they're related. I don't think yeah. they're necessarily, you know. Sure. Look, okay. more 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 warehousing, more people taking stuff to and from warehouses Correct. obviously means more folks that can utilize uh, road sinks technology. That's right. And, That's yeah, yeah, exactly right. Okay, great. So if we check in with you in another 18 to 24 months, what what is on your wish list that you would like to be able to talk about or have accomplished? Oh, gosh. I would love to talk about um, the cool new products that we have in market aimed at, you know, the at the drivers themselves and sort of, you know, the 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 way we've evolved into a multi-product company that 
you know, our, our aspiration is to really start to become a financial home for mm-hmm. our customers. And I would love to have that in market and to be able to say, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're starting to be the place where people come to, if you're in the trucking industry to, to sort of think about what financial solutions you use to support your business. Okay. So if, if you have folks who are in the trucking industry who are listening right now, they want to learn more. What's your contact? How do they get in touch with RoadSync? Yeah, uh, we're at RoadSync.com, S-Y-N-C. Um, and then I am Robin.Greg at RoadSync.com. Okay, and Greg has two Gs for everyone listening. In case Technically you really three Gs, but, you know, <laughs> one at the beginning, two at the end. <laughs> okay, excuse, excuse me. <laughs> Grammar police, number police. I know, here. I know. Yeah, I yeah. Know. Okay, uh, both of y'all, thank you so much for coming on. And everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Tech Talk. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. It's my pleasure.